Hi, this is Brent Lowe, author of Lead Together, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Brent Lowe. Brent is a performance coach, helping leaders show up as their best selves within thriving, purpose-driven teams. Brent lives in the greater Toronto area and is here to talk about his book, Lead Together, The Bold, Brave, Intentional Path to Scaling Your Business. If the title of the book sounds familiar, it's because you could also listen to his co-authors in separate interviews on My Quest for the Best. Welcome, Brent. It's a pleasure to be here, Bill. Brent, it's great to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? Her name is Roberta. I met Roberta when I was still in high school, and she was the mother of one of my friends, and she was a therapist and counselor. And I would go over to her house and hang out with my friend, and she would just start asking me these questions. It was my first introduction to a a deeper learning about myself. I had never been exposed to that before, and it really was transformational in where I've taken my career and the type of work that I do now. Just having that early influence of, oh, there's this whole level of psychology at work. Not just psychology, but what your opinions are and how you connect dots. Do you remember any of the questions that stand out when you think back? I don't remember specific questions, but I remember a pattern to the questions. So I would say something that would be very surface And she would ask me some question that would take me deeper. And I would answer that. And she would ask me a question that would take me deeper. It was this introduction to the idea that there's layers and we can keep going deeper and deeper on these, each of these topics. Can you share an example just so people listening who haven't had this experience could get a sense of it? Sure. If I would say something like, I had this conversation yesterday and I was upset at the end of it. And she'd say, oh, tell me more about that. And so then I would say, I said this, and the other person said that, and it really had me feeling that I just didn't know what to say back. She's like, oh, now that you've had a chance to reflect on that, what might you say back if you could go back and have that conversation again? And so I would say something, and then she said, oh, why would you say that? What led you to think that was the right response? And, and so it would just be this layering of, ah, go deeper combined with reflection and being able to have choices that you didn't have in the moment. That sounds very powerful for any teenager. Absolutely. In my coaching work now with leaders, it's still the same work that I do with adults. I think we all can use that help of another person to help us go deeper with our own questions. Often we get wrapped up in our own heads of running around the same hamster wheel of questions. And then when a coach comes along or some, somebody that, that you trust that can start to bump you off the hamster wheel a little bit and help you go in a different direction, explore different paths and different ideas that you maybe haven't thought of because you've just been on this cycle going around and around. When you talk about paths, I wonder if you can think back to being at university or maybe one of your first jobs. And Roberta's influence of asking deeper questions served you in making a decision or offering some level of support to a colleague. 
I remember that early on. So I started my first business when I was 17. I was with other friends that were similar age to me. There were five of us running it. The business was called Voicemark Productions. It was a combo of a band and band management company all together. You can imagine five teen guys that are living the life within the music industry and building a business and all of the different types of tensions and frictions that uh, come up along the way of everything from what clothing people are going to wear to a show, to what songs are going to be recorded, to how much we're going to practice, all those types of things. I was on the management side and the other four were the artists and also helping run the business. We got to a point where we weren't doing so well interpersonally. And so Roberta offered to bring us all together and have a mini retreat. So we went to a cottage and we sat around and she just has had this way of asking uh, questions when we were all sitting together that would surface conversations that wouldn't otherwise happen if she hadn't asked the question. And for example, she might sense that one of us was uptight about something. And so she would ask and dig a little bit to understand what was happening and allow that to surface so that we could actually have a conversation about it rather than allowing it to lay, not dormant necessarily, but lay behind the surface so that it never really got addressed. She just made sure that it didn't stay there. There's pressure building up just beneath the surface. Let's just defuse that now rather than let it build so so people don't wander into it by accident. Absolutely. And that really had an influence on the direction you took as a career. How did you get started in the business of coaching other business owners and, and leaders? I knew very early, actually, after my introduction to Roberta and spending more time with her that I wanted to do that type of work, but I didn't know exactly how. I had a bit of a meandering career for a while. I started a second business. I went and completed an MBA, and then I shifted after my MBA into HR. I became an HR leader within founder-led businesses. So businesses that had a CEO that was still with the business after it had grown and they needed HR support. So you'd be Uh, providing outsourced support for these types of businesses? No, I I went in-house at that point. And so I I became an employee. I had been on the outside as a founder myself. So I had started and and started to grow businesses. Then I went in-house and worked for founders. Eventually, I went back to school one more time for a uh, master's in counseling psychology. And then about nine years ago, went out on my own and took all of that experience and put it to use working for founder CEOs as a coach. Now I go in and I work with founders one-on-one and then sometimes with their teams as a whole to help them perform as well as they possibly can. The sense of when a founder steps into the role of CEO, a founder starts off and it's two, three people. It's really just people sitting around a, a table. Then eventually they get to the point where I'm not just a founder anymore. Now I need to be the leader of this business. And it's a very steep learning curve that I would say is it's not a natural learning curve. Normally we step into business and grow at a a pace that we can onboard things. But if a business really starts to take off, that path from CEO, from founder rather, to CEO to leader can be a very steep pitch. What I find interesting is how the people who are going through this 
recognize some of the symptoms that they are in over their heads. That I think that it's very rare for someone who is a founder to say, I definitely need help because I'm beyond my skill set. I need someone with the outside perspective, tools, and experience to help us make this transition successfully because otherwise something's going to give. And a lot of times what I find when I have my first conversation with uh, a leader, what they're really looking for is someone to talk to that has experience who isn't one of their, be it co-founders or co-leaders, that isn't a employee of their team, who isn't a member of their board, who isn't their, their spouse or life partner. They need somewhere that they can go where the conversation can be just about them and a safe place where they can surface some of these challenges and concerns that they're having without being too vulnerable. It can be very vulnerable to go to those that are close to you often to really surface some of the deepest challenges that we're having. That's We, we call it a kind of a, a safe sandbox to come and play. Yes, that makes a lot more sense. When you're dealing with these founders who are looking to branch out with the type of role that they could fulfill, part of what your specialty is, as I understand it from the book, is bringing them to a place where they have options of whether to bring in traditional management layers into the organization or to move into an organizational structure that is more flexible. And how would you describe that? It's not leaderless, but it's not the typical management layer. Could you elaborate on that, please? For sure. So we call it leading together. There are lots of other names that are used to describe it as well. It's self-organizing, self-managing, going horizontal, decentralized leadership. It's this sense that everyone in the organization uh, can lead to some level and that the that, that everybody can follow to some level. And when we start in a business, when it's it's a, a new business, so it, let's say you and I, Bill, decided after this podcast, we wanted to go into business together. And so we would sit together maybe on a Zoom call or in a coffee shop and talk about what that business could be like. And then we would decide, okay, I'm going to do these things, you do those things. And then maybe we bring in another one or two people and we continue to work that way. And what we would call is that's a very leader, lead together type atmosphere. And then at some point, as the organization starts to grow, there will be this feeling and maybe some advisors will come along and say, you know what, there's so many people here now, you need some managers to come in and manage those people so that it can lighten your load as the as the CEO and founder of the business. And, and in that moment, most often, founders will say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Very understandable. That's how we see most businesses growing. What we would suggest is there's actually another option. And some leaders are starting to see that, you know what, this hierarchy thing, it feels a little old, a little traditional. I want to be very progressive in everything that I want to do. I want to be progressive in, in how I market, how I design my product, how I raise uh, funding for my business. And what we would say is, well, there's also a progressive way to how you structure your organization. And, and that's the basis, really, of our book, Lead Together, is, is all about if you didn't want to go down that path of building a traditional hierarchy, what else could you do? And more specifically, how would you do it? What specifically do you need to do differently? What are a couple of the key differentiators in a lead together organization in setting it up from the architectural standpoint? It's not a traditional org chart. 
So what does that look like as you design and start to build and recruit for it? So one of the things that's really at the core of these organizations is a strong sense of purpose. And so there is still a hierarchy in these organizations, but the difference is that in a traditional organization, the hierarchy is built on roles predominantly. And so if I'm the CEO and then I have a layer of vice presidents and, and then I have a layer of directors, the, in this type of organization, it's, the, the hierarchy is built around purpose. So what is the primary purpose of the organization? And then how do we need to break that purpose down into smaller parts? And then what are the teams that we're going to bring together to deliver those? The difference is, uh, one of the, the key differences is in how roles are created in these organizations. So we traditionally think in, in traditional organizations of one person, one job description, and that becomes a bit of a static uh, definition. What we design and lead together organizations are roles that are collections of responsibilities. And so, for example, I could, if I'm in one of these organizations, I might have four or five different roles. And each of those roles is a smaller part. It's not a 40, 40 hour a week uh, role. It might be uh, half, half a day, as an example. And through building that out, we put together these smaller teams, which we call circles. And within those circles, we figure out what are all the roles that need to exist in this circle for it to deliver on its purpose. And then we start figuring out, okay, who are the people that are available and, and have the interest and skill to fill these roles? So I might exist in three different circles within the organization, as an example. Rather than in a traditional organization, I would have one job description, which would be in one team with one manager, and that would be a more of a static way of looking at the organization. Since purpose is so important, how do you help the leaders of an organization describe and articulate their purpose in a way that reaches all of the employees and helps them connect with it so that there is a chance to align and work together? So, there's maybe two parts to that answer. One is in a lead together organization, a lot of the, the purpose creation work is done as a team. So there's a lot more involvement of the whole team in sensing into what's being called for now. That said, the founder and CEO most often has a very unique and special role in an organization as the primary purpose sensor for the organization. And so it, it is a co-creative process with a strong influence by the the founder then once it's created which normally it's created fairly early in the the organization's journey maybe not right at the beginning because there isn't enough information available yet and enough not enough time has passed let me yeah. jump in because i think that we can get there in a different way i think that what you're saying about having the experience and the purpose needs to be not only part of the vision, but also part of what's revised once you have organization and clients and products and have been working on it for a while. In the book, you talk about other companies' purposes, like Tom's purpose, the Tom's of Maine. We believe that we can improve people's lives through business. That's something that people who understand and gravitate towards that understand that's the kind of business that they want to be part of. There's a consulting firm, Crisp, whose purpose is, is to enable consultants to be happy. And it helps consultants work. It knows who its target market is, and it helps them zero in 
on helping consultants who are self-employed be more effective together. Can you describe an example of a company you work with and what's the purpose that you arrived at by helping them have those conversations that allowed it to emerge and be articulated? Absolutely. Let's talk about a, a company called ET Group. They are located in Toronto, Canada. They're a integration company in the audiovisual space. So they bring audiovisual services to corporate clients. I've been working with Dirk, who's the founder, who is the CEO. He was not the initial founder, but the company's gone through a a revision. So he's almost like the founder of the the newest version of the company. There are about 45 people in in total. That organization has uh, a meeting five times a year called the Team Connect, which is the only time during the year that the entire company comes together. And so one of those Team Connect meetings was focused on redefining the purpose. Dirk spent a lot of time in advance sensing, asking people in the organization where they felt the organization uh, should be going, what they were sensing. Then he brought forward a proposed direction. And in one of these team connects where we have almost the whole company together in one room, we went through some exercises to distill it, to explore it. And it evolved over, I would say, probably a year and a half. And so now if you go to their website, you can see there that why we exist to bring harmony to work and workplace with technology. That's probably the third spin on it. But everyone just have got a little bit closer and a little bit closer. So we would go a few more Team Connect meetings, and then we would review it again, and some more ideas would come up, and there would be another revision. So that's one example of how we've worked through that. I think that's really helpful for people to understand that even when you arrive at it, it still evolves. It has to be brought out into the field. You've got to test it under different circumstances and see, is this what we believe except when we're under a lot of pressure? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. When you're under pressure is when you really see is the purpose that we landed on the right one, because it can be very easy when the pressure comes to waver. Yeah. We completely believe in supporting our people, even in the face of unrealistic client expectations, except when the client is paying us this much. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yes. It's really important also in a company like this, it requires a higher level of awareness by the employees to be happy and satisfied in a company like this because you don't get the titles and roles or even your career path. You don't have the career path to say, I'm going to be an assistant manager. I'm going to be a project manager. Then I'm going to be an assistant manager. Then I'm going to be a manager. Then I can look forward to being a director and then maybe down the road a VP. It's something where In one sense, people would probably be able to have some of the opportunities to do maybe strategic planning, if that was a strength, much earlier, yet they don't get the titles necessarily. Is that accurate in the Lead Together model? It is accurate. And we talk about a model for when people come into this type of environment, whether we're starting an organization from the start or whether tomorrow I was to go work for the first time for an organization like this, there is a model that we look at from a transitioning into those type environments. The first is an intellectual one. So I can read about and and hear other people talk about what it's like and why you might want to have a lead together organization versus a more traditional organization. And so first I have to learn about it and I have to intellectualize it. Then I have to get to that point of appreciating the emotional impact that it will have on me. So if we use this example that you were just sharing, I can understand, oh, career progression is different in these places. Like it's not, 
based on titles necessarily. It's more that I get to try different things. And so I can understand that intellectually. Then once I get in the organization and I'm, I'm there for a little while and I realize, but I, I haven't got a new title or I haven't, I, I can't change what I have on LinkedIn to, to show my network that I'm progressing. So then there's this emotional work that we need to do. And then the third step eventually is the habitual work. So even once we go through the first two steps, we still have to appreciate that there are things that we are wired to do from our past experiences that we need to do differently going forward and communicating how we, what our role is in our organization, as an example. We're just so used to saying when somebody asks, what do you do? Oh, I am the manager of such and such. There's a whole different talk track when you're in uh, an organization like this and how you might explain to somebody else what your role is. Think of someone who have someone who has responsibility for managerial work, but doesn't have a managerial title. And if you could talk about specific, maybe two specific examples as to how someone would describe the work that he or she does, who can't sum it up neatly like a title like that, how would it sound when they were asked at a, a party or a family function? So. How's work? What are you doing with XYZ company these days? Let me tell you about Rob. He works at a software company in Toronto. There's about 30, 35 people at the company. He works within the software circle of the company, so the the part of the company that's responsible for designing and building the software. His role in a traditional organization would probably be like a product manager. So normally, if he was out at a party, hey, what do you do? Oh, I work for this company, I'm a product manager. In this case, he might say something like, I work for a software company, and I have the privilege of being able to help design and guide where the company goes in structuring its software. Uh, So it gets away from the description of the role and more toward the the actual work. The areas of responsibility. That's right. Let's talk about Terra, another one of our clients. It's a, a technology company in Toronto. And in her job, she covers a lot of the administration that would traditionally fall to management type roles. If she was explaining to somebody what it is that she does, she would say, in my role, I get to serve the other team members and their needs and help them be as productive as possible by taking work off their plate. Again, it really comes back to explaining the responsibilities that she's responsible for rather than a traditional title. Now, often what happens is individuals that work in these companies They'll still, when they're out at a cocktail party, they will describe using more industry standard language, um, but it's not how they would describe it if they were working within the, the company themselves. Sometimes we need to change our language so that others can connect with us. That makes complete sense. I think a lot of employees do that anyway. They have an internal way they speak about things and an external way they speak about things. I would argue that no matter what role that people have, that's always the secondary question. So you are the product QA manager. What does that involve exactly? And then they're talking about the responsibilities that people inside a lead together organization talk about up front. You got it. Brent, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Earlier, I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up, and you shared about Roberta, who was one of your best friend's moms. When you were a teenager, Brent, what's a song that you loved? Oh, If I Had a Million Dollars by the Bare Naked Ladies, a very traditional Canadian group. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars. 
That's about all I can remember. It's been a long time. But it brings you back. It does. Do you use a tool or system to help you stay on track and productive from day to day and week to week? I do. I use Trello. And when we wrote the book, the entire book was mapped out on Trello with my co-authors. And I'm a heavy user of Evernote. Pretty much everything I do goes into Evernote. What would you say is the single best piece of advice you ever received? That is a tough one. You know what? I would say just breathe. In the last six months or so, what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made? And that could be Canadian dollars. I don't know if I can do $100, but I just got an Aura ring and I am thrilled with it. I think it was like $299, but um, super thrilled. Here we are in December of 2020, and we've had the pandemic for three quarters of the year. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I would say traveling so much. I used to travel to client locations all the time, and it takes a long time to travel. And now with technology, I'm having as much, if not more, interaction with my clients And uh, of course, I'm looking forward to getting back to occasional touch points in person, but I've realized that I could be much more productive cutting down my travel. What's your personal definition of success? Having an impact. What's an example of how you've made progress in that area in the last year? On our team, we've become more specific with the types of organizations that we work with and specifically tuning into what is that organization's purpose and does it resonate for us and is it going to make an impact in the world. In your experience with talking with people who are interested, but it turns out they don't have the right set of prerequisites where this type of model would be successful. What are one or two of the misconceptions that you commonly hear that you can now correct and set the record straight on? A lot of people imagine that being in a lead together organization must be chaotic. And once you get in and really understand how these organizations work, once you maybe have the opportunity to visit one, uh, you'll realize that it's actually not chaotic. They're very smooth running organizations. So that's the first. The second is that it's a belief that these types of organizations can just be adopted like a system and that, oh, if I just pick up, read the book, and implement the tools, then it will just happen. And the reality is that every one of these organizations is designing its own way based on an underlying philosophy. And that requires a lot of internal work on behalf of the uh, leader who's leading the change and also everyone on the team. So there are tools that you can bring, but it is not a system that you can just come introduce in a week or two and watch your organization transition. It takes work. So it's not like block scheduling, for instance. Correct. Brent, you've been so generous in sharing with me these ideas about leading together. You talked about Roberta, who influenced you because she asked questions that got at the deeper level of meanings and exposed you to that as a teenager. You talked about your career path and the importance of taking in all the perspectives that you gained through your education and your work experience to arrive to where you are now and to have the impact that you have. You talked about the ability to position leading together as a way of having a self-organizing or self-managing organization and how it is something that is advantageous for some businesses that are at the point where they're looking to bring in management and letting them know that there's another option available to being self-managed. 
We talked about examples and how the importance of having a strong sense of purpose really came into play in, for instance, with the 5T group. And you talked about for employees to talk about their role and their work and their areas of responsibility, really by being able to have some sort of language that they use internal inside the organization and some sort that they use outside the organization, as we all do anyway. And then we um, made sure that you clarified the idea that it's actually a very, it can be very structured to work with them inside a lead together organization. One of the biggest examples of that is Gore Technologies, which has 10,000 people. And that's a model that's shown to work. Also the belief that it could be adopted like a system. It's not, hey, let's try this out for a month. This is a major choice that needs to be made. And organizations that are interested in doing it now know more about the model as well as a resource. So Brent, for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you again for joining me on my quest for the best. My pleasure. And thank you so much. It really has been uh, a privilege to be here with you. Brent, before we say goodbye for now, can you tell us where we could find out more about you and your work online? For sure. The best place to go is leadtogether.co.co. Uh, and you'll uh, find a, a link to the book and then also to each of uh, the author sites as well. Well, Brent, we're going to link to your personal consulting and coaching site, as well as your social media to make it easy for people who have listened to this interview to follow you and find out more about the work that you're up to and contact you so that they can find out whether their organization is ready to be a lead together organization. Brent Lowe, co-author of Lead Together, The Bold, Brave, Intentional Path to Scaling Your Business. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Bill. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.